that? Okay. Did we did we get it? Is your name Reed Wilkins? What is your hockey team? The Edmonton Oilers. What was Ben Eager's even strength course in prime numbered minutes during the Joey Moss Cup of 2014? Well, in which zone? Defensive, offensive, neutral? What? I don't know that. <laughs> Today is a very special day. I'm feeling very good. Um, I opened a new bar of soap. And I feel as though the days before you're you're opening the new soap, when you're using the old crappy soap that's tiny, you just never really get fully clean. So I really love and cherish those days where I have the new bar of soap and I can really take a proper shower. So feeling very special today. It's also a special day because we have a very special guest. You know him, you love him, you've been sending him uh, angry voicemails for 10 years. He is Reed Wilkins. Welcome, Reed. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I, I, I agree with you with soap. I'm also a little like that with hand lotion. I, I have really dry skin, so I keep, a lo- I keep hand lotion in several spots around the house and by, and by my desk at work even, which obviously is the, you know, the obvious joke my coworkers make to me all the time. Of course. Uh, but... I'm like that with hand lotion, right? Like I'll be low on hand lotion and you can't quite pump it out, but I'll leave, you know, the stick in there for a while and then just kind of scrape as much as you can out with the stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then when you then when you open the new one, it's really funny. I should maybe I don't know if I I can access it from home, but I don't if you can edit stuff in. I got a voicemail a few years ago. I was actually still producing Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. And I found out over the years that my work phone number, I think, is one digit off from a Royal Bank in Edmonton. So oh, wow. maybe maybe once or twice a year, I'll get a call or I'll get a voicemail, somebody asking about a bank. But I got this really bizarre one. And, and this would have been you know eight or nine years ago, right? Those two years I was doing Bob's show. Mm-hmm. And it was this gentleman. And, he, and I come into work the next day and I get the voicemail. And the first thing he says, like, is this the Royal? And I'm like, okay, it's the wrong number. And then he went on this incredible about a minute 45 second rant about how tired he was of us talking about (laughs) hockey players. Received Tuesday at 7, 
8.22 p.m. Two minutes. Why do you guys keep talking about that goddamn hockey all the time? Those goddamn phony son of a bitches. Why do you keep playing hockey and yakking about it until 1 o'clock in the morning? You think the world is made out of hockey players? So it was really weird because he was calling the bank, but then he realized he was calling Chad. So maybe maybe he heard my voicemail and then it clicked like, oh, I got the stupid station that does the Delayed stupid reaction. And he was screaming like, quit talking about hockey players. You wow. think they're heroes? They couldn't even grow their own food. Why are we taking oil out of the ground? Oil keeps the earth cool, just like the blood cools your body. Oh, wow. You're a bunch of idiots. So like it was just like this episode. So obviously I played it for all my coworkers, and I think for a while Dan Tenser posted it on like Chirpit or whatever people people were using at the time. But then somebody was like, maybe, maybe take that down. So anyway. No, no, no. If you have it, send it to me uh, tonight, and uh, I'll I'll definitely try and get it in there. Um, it reminds me of that episode of Seinfeld where Kramer has the the almost the same number as movie phone, so he just becomes movie phone. <laughs> you might have to. Uh, I don't know how much profanity you guys use, if any, but there are still some Quite a bit. that just, yeah, but even for this, there might be some in, not appropriate words you might have to X out or something, but it was, it was, it was epic. I, I am up to the challenge. <laughs> Reed, um, in a, in a yeah, similar, ahead. in a similar vein, Reed, the, the post game Colin show is such a crucial part of the fan experience and you've shepherded us into the long dark nights many many times and i always wonder when i'm listening to those shows because when i'm listening to them you know during the lean years like i'm so i'm completely steamed and everyone calling in is completely steamed and after the show and i'm just listening to the show after the show i'm usually completely like emotionally exhausted and i was wondering how like do you have like like a punching bag set up in your <laughs> garage or some sort of like you have to run like 25 miles down the freeway like what do you do how did you how do you get rid of all that negative energy that i imagine i imagine when the team is doing well it's got to be like like so nice talking to people who are who are thrilled but when the team during those lean years how did you how were you able to leave all of that at the station or were you, know, you? You know, that, that's, a, that's a really interesting question, and I appreciate you asking it because that's, a, I think, a big part of the job and of the profession that maybe people don't realize. Like, a lot of people are like, well, what's it like to talk to Connor McDavid? And it's like, well, I don't know. Like, he gives you a four-second answer, and then you try to ask another question. Like, that's not for people. That's, that's what people want to know, even though to me that's not an overly exciting or part of my job or part of the job I, I analyze really much, very much. I think – after probably the first couple of years, and I have to include Rob Brown in this, who I love working with, and he and I do overtime open line together, and he's such a great analyst, and he's so good at explaining why things happen on a certain player, what a player was experiencing as something yep. was happening on the ice. I think, I, I think the first thing I had to go through, and this might sound strange as someone who is a sports fan and who has lived in or near Edmonton almost all of his life, I think I still had to go through an adjustment period of just how intense the fans are hmm. and and then being on the front line of that emotion right after a game. And and I think my first couple of years, I definitely didn't handle things as well. I think that there were times I was too combative or too dismissive with people. 
I, I think probably year three, Rob and I started to find our groove a little bit. And I, and I just sort of realized that I should feel somewhat privileged that people want to share their thoughts with me after a game and, and with Rob. And that of all the people in the world that these people could talk to, they're choosing to call Rob and me. And maybe they don't have anybody else to call besides Rob and me. Now, that doesn't mean it's a free-for-all and that I let people say whatever they want or that they can be you know, insulting or long-winded. I mean, it's still my job to control what goes on the air uh, you know, to the best I can. But I think that that's sort of how I've approached it. I, I think that I've also told myself that usually people do not call a talking show to say positive things. They almost always have a complaint. <laughs> and the, the second last call we got before the pandemic, and the Oilers lost to Winnipeg. They didn't play a great game, didn't play a terrible game, but they didn't play well enough to win. Oh, and, it yeah, was per- yeah. and it was pretty much apparent that hockey probably wasn't going to be back. Yeah, during the, the broadcast. The second last guy that called in was telling Rob and me what a bad hockey player Leon Dreisaitl is, how he gives the puck away too much. Furthermore, that Rob and I are basically pansies because we never criticize Leon enough and how much are the Oilers coercing us to never criticize Leon and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, okay, I didn't say anything to the guy. We just kind of let him talk and moved on. Well, Rob might have responded a little bit, but I'm just I was sitting there thinking like, okay, buddy, like the league's shutting down. The league's shutting down tomorrow morning, most likely. And Leon Dreisaitl has like 100 and whatever points and is probably the MVP in the league. And this is what you're coming up with uh, on a Wednesday night loss in game 71 to the Winnipeg Jets. But so, you know, I think I kind of just tell myself, OK, people, you, probably somebody is unhappy about something, even if the Oilers win. And you got to hear them out and deal with it the best they can. And look, guys, you can't in this profession, you can't take it personally. Do I want the Oilers to win? Yes. Do I want all Edmonton teams and athletes to do well? Yes. But when I'm on that show, I'm not a fan in the way everybody else is a fan. You know, you got to keep it analytical, hopefully have some fun, hopefully have some information, get people all the relevant interviews. So I never really took it personally. Certainly there were nights where I I was like, my God, I wish it wasn't November 20th and they were out of the playoffs already. Like you kind of think to yourself, okay, what are we going to talk about? How do we keep the energy of the broadcast going when the season's a write-off? Uh, already but that's again that's part of being a pro and working in in radio you gotta it's it's your job to do a good broadcast regardless I, I will say the only a couple times guys I've got frustrated and frustrated is not even the right word there, there were times I said to myself I want I, I want to host a sports show and I'm just hosting a therapy show right <laughs> those were the nights exactly. where it was kind of tough because I was sitting there with Rob who can analyze any play uh, you know, I cover every practice and I can jump in with, oh, don't forget this guy said this or, well, I saw them working on this practice. But but you're just dealing with all the anger. And there were honestly sometimes I felt helpless because I I'm kind of a pleaser. Like I, I want to help people. If I'm in a situation, I want, you know, someone to think, oh, you know, Reed helped me or, or I needed something and Reed helped me. But I, there were some nights I'm just like, I can't help these people. Like they're just so upset. And then I think that's when it sort of clicked into my mind. Okay, you know what? Just listen. They're trusting you with their thoughts. They're trusting you with their emotions. You know, just listen. You kind of got to jump in and move along when appropriate. But that's that's. I don't know if you guys thought this would be such a long answer, but it is something. Oh no, I, I love it. About. That's, yeah. that's that's kind of um, my mindset on a lot of that. 
It's I think, something. I think that's a great, great attitude. Um, I think it's, it, it sounds like the first couple of years were almost like you were you had like a really needy girlfriend that would call you all the time, and then you graduated into kind of being more of like a crisis line operator <laughs> who just understands that yes, you know, you just you're there to listen. I it's dig it. Very, it's very much like a when you say that you feel like a therapist, like as someone who's who ha- has called into the show, who has called in during the lean years, especially is when. I felt most motivated to call. And it's the reason I call is because it feels like, like you have to talk to somebody. It's like, I have to talk to somebody who is paid to listen (laughs) and just like, let it out. Like I have to get this out of my system before I go to bed. So yeah, it's a, it's such a crucial, crucial job. And I, I applaud you and, and all post game, call-in guys but especially like in this market it's um it's a storied position and you guys have had to deal with your fair share of i mean of uh, of bummers i suppose well, <laughs> and, look, way, but again. And, and fans should be angry i mean we all know we all know what those 10 years were like and then unfortunately the last two weren't very good either and let's face it guys the six of the last seven years of the decade of darkness the orders were in the bottom three in the league yeah, I'm, sure you've heard, I'm sure you've heard me say this on air. It wasn't like they were missing the playoffs by one win every year. They were irrelevant by December 1st most years. So, but, yeah. like, I, but you know, again, I, like, I mean, and yeah, like, I don't, I don't know if you've called me or called Dan when he was doing it, but one thing, and I listen to other talk radio shows and, you know, obviously I listen to other shows on Chad mm-hmm. and I think it's human nature that if somebody sounds angry, you take it personally. And I, you know, no, no, sometimes listeners are mad at me. You're mad at Rob, and that's fine. But I've thought, okay, they're going to sound upset. Don't take that personally. Let them get it out. Yeah. You know, if, if they make an interesting point, give them a chance to expand on it. Or, or, or if, they, if they make a crazy point, sometimes challenge them on it. Yeah. You know, just try to make it, try to make it uh, a conversation and make it an, an inviting place for people. Not just to – because the one thing – here's another thing, guys. I'll tell you a little secret. I have been told in the past, Reed, I shut off the post-game show because I couldn't listen to any, any more of your callers. Guys, if that happens, that's my fault. That is not the caller's fault. That is my fault because I'm not pacing the show and keeping the tone of the show consistent so it's inviting mm-hmm. for other people to listen to. 30 seconds of an insane call might be entertaining. Two minutes – has somebody changing the station. I have to know when enough is enough. And, and maybe sometimes you have to kind of make somebody feel like you don't want them to call anymore. I, I do do that sometimes. But you got to remember that. Like if, if, if the ratings were to plummet to zero, my boss wouldn't say, well, the callers were crazy, buddy. Too bad. They, he, would right. say, he would say, why are you letting so many people on that are alienating the n- other 99% of the listeners? How do you curate uh, the, the callers? What's what's like the screening process? Is it is it well, just like a producer kind of like? How- <laughs> yeah, it's Kellen. It's Kellen, guys. Kellen right. Kennedy. He takes the calls. But when I'm at ho- when I'm uh, at the station, so when the orders are on the road, I have a computer in front of me that shows all the calls on the list, and Kellen will and he can put a little note next to the caller's name, so it could say like Ian uh, likes Drysital, uh, Barry uh, thought the power play was good. Um, you know, Mike wants to wants to ask Rob about Tippett. So then sometimes I can group a topic together. So generally, 
you know, if people call, they get on. There are certainly a couple people over the years where I've just told I've told Kellen, like, not tonight. Like, he swore last time he was on, or I know he's just going to crap on this one player, or, or I'll just bump him down in the queue. And I, I don't really like doing that. But again, you know, if I just know a guy's going to call in and, and pick on his least favorite player again, and he just did it two days ago, how is that really driving the conversation forward? Of course, of course. Um, well, yeah, it's def- definitely a kind of a role of a therapist. I don't know if you've seen um, the Sopranos read, but we talk about it a lot on the show. And it, this conversation is making me think of how Tony Soprano's therapist herself goes to a therapist. So maybe this podcast, <laughs> it's like if you treat us like you're, ther- you're the therapist going to your therapist at the end of the week and being like, my patients are driving me crazy. So that's um, all right. In, in that vein um, and on the same topic, I, wa- I was curious what – over over your time, uh, it's been ten years about, right? So far, doing the, uh, this, the overtime this my, overline. This is only my seventh season, actually, doing overtime oh. overline. And the, the previous two years, I was producing Bob's show, so I did post game uh, dressing room interviews. Oh right, right, right. Uh, yeah. Do you get paid time and a half for overtime overline, by the way? <laughs> I should. <laughs> yeah, you should talk about that. Your next contract negotiation. Um, <laughs> but I was just curious, uh, what trade have you had to listen to the most listener bile? over in that time like what are people what are, what have people complained the most about in terms of Oilers trades oh i mean there's a probably, few to choose from i'm sure probably probably griffin reinhardt keeps coming up um for well it was the two picks at the time obviously one turned out to be barzell who's a, a pretty high, high point producer that one comes up quite a bit hall for larson ebbs and flows depending on how the team is doing because if the team is winning the people who hate that trade can't criticize Adam Larson, right? Right. Then if they lose, then if they lose two one, then it's like, well, Hall would have got a goal, you know, (laughs) won in overtime. So that, you know, that's, that's always going to be a controversial one because Hall's such a prominent player and he, and he won. And look, the Oilers were never going to win that trade statistically, right? It was was made, made for other reasons. I would say probably those two, and then certainly Everly for Strom for a while, though that was funny because until Everly was traded, all I heard from was the people who wanted to trade Everly. And then after that, all I've heard from are the people who said we never should have traded Everly. Funny how that works. <laughs> um, next question is, I wanted to make it fun, so it's multiple choice. Oilers fans uh, struggle to be reasonable uh, when it comes to A, defensemen, B, coaches, C, prospect use, or D, losing streaks. That's an excellent question. Certainly, they all have some uh, some cachet as my answer, but, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just gonna say losing streaks because mm, that, that's answer. that's the crazy thing about pro sports, right? Or well, any sports, you always you're always as an observer, you're always biased towards the most recent information. So, and I was guilty of it too, because what the Oilers were what seven and one or whatever it was, and then they got shut out two games in a row. So for the intro for the next face-off show, I used Where Have All the Good Times Gone as the song. I mean, they're still like, still like 7-1-1 one, and one on the, or 7-2-1, and one, whatever they were on the season. So I, I think it's losing streaks, right? Because all of a sudden that they have a bad game or that one defenseman has a bad game or that goalie has a sh- shaky game. And now it's like, oh, here we go. Like, especially in this city, right, where it has been, here we go again so often where they haven't been good enough to recover from a loss or two. So I, I would think losing streaks just because fans are so passionate and they're so worried about the 
poor play creeping in or an off game or two becoming a trend. So I, I would say, mm. I would say losing streaks though. There's arguments to be made for, for all those choices. Solid answer. I, I totally agree. I think, I think the thing with the losing streaks as well with Oilers fans is we all kind of have a complex of, Oh, when, when is the darkness coming back? And we go on a three game losing streak and we, our, our mood just completely plummets. Um, when, yeah, our, our record might still be pretty good. I think, you know, 10 years, it's going to take a lot of time for uh, our patients to recover from uh, from the trauma, you know. Um, I also wanted to ask, and this is something I feel personally a lot. Um, do you ever feel sorry when you when you see Connor McDavid break in or Leon Dreisaitl or the Oilers power play? Do you ever just feel sorry for the opposing team's defenseman or goalie? Because in my mind, I see them and I'm like, what are they supposed to do? Never. I, I never feel sorry for not not a, not at the pro level, Coll- like collegiately amateur maybe I, I would feel sorry for players or teams in a blowout or lopsided situation, NHL, NFL, CFL, NBA never I, because that's that's what it comes down to it's it is they they are sharks out there they are alpha males they the the best they all have a screw you attitude and the best mm. guys have even a double screw you attitude. Like you think Leon's not out there thinking to hell with you, everybody who said I can't skate, you know, like to hell with you, Mark Spector for asking me that question. You know, you just, you don't think (laughs) Leon's thinking that I'm picking Uh, on poor Mark, but anyway, well, we've taken on Mark a little bit on the podcast. It's all in good fun. It's okay. Yeah. He's a good guy, but no, I, I I don't, I, I just think, and that's, that's the beauty of it. Right. Is because even in the NHL, even for Leon Dreisaitl to score 50 goals last year and still have a shot at it this year, that's still extremely difficult. Like you have to be really skilled to score 50 goals and still get a get a couple of breaks and be denied still more often than not and miss a lot of great chances. So no, I never I never feel sorry for a player who gets burned by by a superstar, whether it's an oiler burning somebody or or elsewise I, or otherwise. I mean, I might like, okay, I guess when Tyler Buns had to play that period against Los Angeles a few years ago, I felt bad for Tyler Buns. Like that's it was an awful situation to put the guy in for his 20 minutes in the NHL. So maybe if there was a situation like that where it was just a down and out team and they had to play a fifth string goalie and McDavid's like just wiring shots past them. I might have a little bit of sympathy in that situation, but generally I don't. Hey, uh, Reed, I was wondering, there doesn't ever seem to be the, the stop time of overtime open line seems to be very liquid depending on how, how the game went, how the fans are feeling, kind of the the uh, the volume of calls you're taking. What was what's the longest the show's ever gone on after the game, and what were the circumstances that uh, that allowed the show to go on that long? Well, these are some good questions, guys. I appreciate these questions because you're asking really uh, wow. a lot of well, you're asking a lot of broadcast themed questions as well as well as sports theme questions and that's one thing that uh people find out about me if if they get to know me i don't just like sports and talking about the Oilers. i i enjoy the craft of broadcast i bet you're a radio guy yeah and all all the little things that go into it so I, i appreciate these questions you're right there is no definite uh out time for overtime open line generally uh, a couple times a year, we might have a, a double header where an Eskimos game might follow. So then we'll get out of be done at a certain time. Uh, sometimes, uh, and this is very rare, there might be a program that has to start 
at a certain time. And we did have an overtime open line on an election where my boss said, you know, don't drag it out tonight. Be- or uh, the U.S. election when Trump got elected. Ah. Uh, you know, my boss said, look, we, we got special coverage of that. So if you can be done by this time at the latest, but if you can get out earlier. But, you know, generally if they play a seven o'clock home game, I usually bank on being done at 11, though sometimes mm-hmm. we might go past that. Um, it's it, you kind of got to walk that line, right? Because we are we we are not obviously an all sports station, so there will be a section of the audience that obviously might not be doesn't like hockey at all, right? They want to hear Adler or Drex or whoever, or there might even be some hardcore Oilers fans who m- at a point might be okay. I got the game story. I've heard Rob. I've heard the interviews. I've heard the calls. I want the news and the weather at 11. I don't want you to preempt that. So I got to keep all that in mind. The latest I can ever remember going is the uh, the Anaheim comeback game with the disputed goal. Oh, uh, really? And yeah. Because I think the game ended at around, I hope I'm not wrong with the time, guys. I want to say about 12.50 a.m. And I think I started, so, so Bob and Jack wrapped up. Rob was sick. Rob, Rob didn't work that game, oddly enough. So I think I started just before one and I went till three in the morning. So that's the latest I've ever gone and would probably be the longest one in terms of time too. If not, it's pretty close. And speaking of therapy, that was a night where I didn't say much. I mean, I knew it was just going to be like, people are going to want to bitch. I I can't, like, there's nothing I can say that's logical or they're not logical. There's nothing I can say that's going to make them feel better or I can't explain the play. And to be honest with you, sometimes fans have been mad at me because there's been a call that has appeared to go against the Oilers and I've looked up the rule and I've explained the rule and I've said, okay, I know it looked like a bad call, but here's what they're calling. Okay. The refs aren't corrupt. Here's what they're calling. Maybe it's misinterpreted, but that's what he thought he was calling. But in that situation, I mean, clearly it was goalie interference. So I kind of said that off the top that the league blew it. Like what else? And then it was pretty much just listen to people, you know, and sure I got asked, well, what's the league going to do about it? Well, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Like that was just my honest answer. I don't know what the league is going to do about it, but that was definitely 3 a.m. is the latest. And it was probably at just over two hours, probably was the longest show as well. Yeah, I remember it well. I think the, I, there was, it was before your time, but it was a game against uh, Dallas, I think. And it was a regular season game. And I, I can't remember who the ref was, but it was some ref. I wish I could remember who it was, but he had, I, it was like well established that he had something out for the Oilers and he just made a series of bad calls <laughs> during like the last two minutes of the game, maybe even into overtime, a regular season game. And I remember that post game show when the old, the old time radio shows for me was always, I would start kind of wearing down and kind of coming to my senses, coming back down to earth <laughs> right around old time radio shows, 11 o'clock. And then I'd be okay. I'll be able to kind of ease into sleep with Jack Benny. But I remember that game, it went well (laughs) past. It was like, yeah, well after midnight and people were still calling in. So that's funny that both times it was was a screw job that kept everyone everyone calling in. Well, the length of the show must increase like directly proportionally with uh, how low the quality of the officiating is that night, right? Like you could be looking at like a four or five, six hour show some days. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah well that and that and actually that's one thing that that rob and i sometimes will talk about before a show because we'll say okay that was that appeared to be a bad call how how, how do you want to deal with this do we want to really dive into it or do we want to just touch on it and try to because sometimes if they lost five two it's like okay like so what like yeah. they would have lost four two or like five one like what's what's the difference right so sometimes we'd say like okay 
Here's what happened. This is why we think it's a bad call. All right, what else happened? But then inevitably, everybody still wants to go back and talk about the bad call anyway. Totally. Um, I had a very important. Oh, this is this is more of like a skill testing question. Um, I'll be impressed if you know, but uh, as reported, uh, Buffalo fired their IT guy uh, during their massive purge uh, during this week. Um, and what was that? Within like four or five days ago now, and then they rehired him less than 24 hours later. What was what precipitated in their decision to rehire him in less than 24 hours? Do you know, well, Reed? Yeah, he, I think he had like a key to the cabinet where all the printer paper was kept. Or somebody had that rare document they needed to print on legal size paper as opposed to the eight and a half by 11. And he had the key to the cabinet. So uh, like, we got to hire this guy back at least until we can get the key and figure out a find out a way to tell him we need the key kept somewhere else beside his desk. That's, I think did, that to be something like that. That is it the does, correct answer. Yeah, it often comes down to a key situation with the 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 firing and then this 24 hour later rehire. It's got to be key related. You, you yeah, I think, think so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. Hey, what about speaking of callers, one of the most notorious callers on your show. And when you were talking about um, callers that make you're listening to the show and then you hear a caller and there's some callers that phone in. And it's like you said, like it's tough to make it through the call. You're just like, I can't I can't uh, I can't deal with this right now. Like it's the cringe factor is super high. And one of those guys for me is uh, Scott from Boston. Well, have so you noticed what, he's always on at the end of the show now? That's that's intentional. What's like? Is I there, hope he is never there, hears me admit that. Is there? Is there any like? <laughs> what's what's the? Uh, where did this guy come from? I, I don't know. Work? I don't know where he came from. Like out of the blue, he starts calling, and and sometimes I'll tell you a secret. Sometimes he calls in and tells Kellen, I don't want to go on air. I just want to listen. And he sits on hold for like an hour and 15 minutes and just listens wow. to overtime open line. Oh my so one time Rob and I just didn't let him talk. We were just like, okay, what, what, do, you, what do you do for a living? And he gave some kind of half-assed story that he builds cabinets for his buddy. So I don't know if they're <laughs> like in, in the mob or I don't know. Something that he's like unable to work. I don't, I don't know, but it's like, it's, he's intense and the one thing about Scott from Boston is he he does not know as much about the Oilers as he claims to. Oh, and, and when he absolutely. was absolutely not at and, all. And when he was exposed this one night, so it was um, it was last season, and it was you know they're doing bad at the end of the because they didn't win win a lot obviously late in the year, and they're playing like you know a third of their team was from the AHL. Yeah, and he started and he started just like bitching about the team and the organization. We're just saying, okay, like we get it, Scott. Like it's a bad year. We don't know when they're going to be better. And then he's just like, it is a travesty that Connor McDavid has never been in the playoffs. And I was, and then so now Rob and I were like, okay, so that's kind of that time where (laughs) you have to agree with the guy's point that they're having an awful year, but you can't just let them say false things. Yeah, we're like, well. Yeah, like fair enough, but they were they were in the playoffs two years ago, and he was like, "What?" <laughs> we're like, "Well, like they, they, they did make the playoffs. Like we're not excusing this season, but they they did make the playoffs." And he's like, "What, really?" <laughs> and he, like he had 
He had no clue they were in the playoffs like in 2017. And this call was in 2019. So we don't understand, like Rob and I don't understand how he missed it. Like, yeah, just, that's wow. wow. He just that's... he just absolutely missed it. Like the Oilers, like he's always like, they've been my favorite team since I was a kid watching Gretzky. And I'm like, what? Oilers fan missed that they ended a 10-year playoff drought. Yeah, it's very – that's like a common theme of his calls, I find. Like when he asks Rob the trivia question, like anytime, anytime that comes up, I'm always thinking like, will this be the time that he asks a question that I didn't know the answer to, like just kind of when I was like 10 years old or something like that? Like they're always – like he kind of sets up the question like he scoured the internet and found like this question that there's no way – that you guys will know the answer to. And it's something like, who were the Oilers playing the night Gretzky scored fifth, his 50th goal in 39 <laughs> games? It's like, well, come on. That's like on a yeah, stamp. Unless you're, unless you're 15, you know that. Like, yeah, or five. Well, that yeah, one exactly. night he was like, um, maybe it was something like who Gretzky tied for the scoring lead in 79-80 and didn't get it because of the goals, which was, of course, Dion. Like, just stuff that, like you said, most Oilers fans would, would certainly know, or even if you're a younger Oilers fan that wasn't alive, then you might still have a educated guess or narrow it down to a couple of names. So that, yeah, that, that trivia part of it, or else you'll ask a question that's so obscure, like how many seconds did it take Wayne Gretzky to tie his skates to the nearest 10? You know, Rob will be like 8.6 and the guy will be like 8.7. I'm making up that question, but you know what I mean? Yeah. He's, he's, it's something that I always, like it's a real it's a real test it's a like a whenever i hear the he's going to be on it's a real test of my like i'll have the radio sitting there and i'm like am i gonna will i last the entire call or will i have to just be like i can't take it like i'm out i have to bail on this call and i'll have to like storm into the kitchen and just kind of like do a couple laps by the washing machine and then come back and hopefully the call is over and i can just kind of like pretend like <laughs> like i never heard any of it well, but, yeah. like I said, there's there is a reason he's he's pretty much uh, always on now at the end of the show, and that is because we figure that's it's a good spot for him. He's a yeah. good closer. Yeah, he's a good closer. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like you 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 know things have wound down. If you're still awake, you'll you'll have a maybe a bit of a laugh before you doze off. That's my approach. Yeah, good approach. Well, like it is a good approach. If you were a therapist, you'd probably always schedule him at the end of the day because you'd be like, oh, fuck, I can't even, oh, you know? I will say one more thing about Scott. When he starts talking about the Patriots, every part of me wants to <laughs> yeah. die on the inside. Well, and you've probably heard, I, I try to always mock the Patriots, even though they're hard to mock because they've been so good. But yeah, when they when they didn't win this year, I think I'm sure to bring that up a couple of oh, times. Oh, you were. You definitely were. Like very early into the call. I was nightmare. Seriously, I can't. I just can't take it. But um, <laughs> I wanted to ask as well, getting back to the Oilers, uh, what forward in the system were you most excited to see uh, in the next, say, one or two years? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, I think I'd have to pick the obvious one, and that's Benson, just for, uh, for a variety of reasons, because just of his whole journey and, and being from Edmonton, and he got that brief look this year and got an assist, but, you know, kind of didn't really get anything going. So, I, I you know, I still hope that, that Tyler Benson – can can find a way to make an impact. I don't I don't think he's going to be at the level Yamamoto has has been, but I do think there's an intelligent player there who you know we obviously had to battle the injuries and I think some people were almost sort of 
borderline writing him off, right? And saying that maybe that whole Bantam thing was a was a flash in the pan thing you do when you're doing you're younger. But I, mm. I, I would say I would say I would say Tyler Benson and I guess maybe I'm a little bit of a local bias there just because, like I said, Edmonton kid and a chance to make it big with the Oilers. But I, I would say him. Cool. Cool. Um that's a fair answer. My my personal answer is uh, Raphael Lavoie because I just yeah. love saying his name. Um, but hopefully we can see uh, personally. I'd love to see them draft you know only wingers in whenever the draft actually happens. Um, but we definitely have some good prospects coming up. Uh, kind of along the same lines, um, who was the last Oiler you think to join the team mid-season and have as much of an impact as Kyler Yamamoto? And it doesn't even have to be a rookie or a prospect. Just any any oiler who joined midseason and had that kind of impact. Uh, Pat Maroon, maybe though he didn't have it till the next year. And I'm trying to think. Got to go back a long time. eh? Cause they haven't had a lot of call-ups that have done it unless I'm missing somebody obvious. So I'm actually, I'm actually trying to think of trades guys, not call-ups because they haven't made a lot of yeah, it would big be a impact trade, trades. Jeez, uh, that's a <laughs> that is an awesome question. I'm trying I mean, to stump you, yeah, because I personally I, I think you almost have to go back to 06 or something. Yeah, that's know? what I'm trying to think of who they brought in. Uh, well, Rollison then I guess I guess you have to say Dwayne Rollison because he was right at the deadline, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if if maybe mid season you mean more like closer to halfway like Yamamoto, but I th- yeah I think you would have to probably say Dwayne Rollison, who somebody who came in and then was one of the top six players on like Yam you'd have to say Yamamoto is one of the top six players on the team currently, wouldn't you? I mean he's Absolutely. on the best he's on the best line. He has almost a point a game. So I mean after after the big three, he's the most likely Oiler to get a point. Hmm. And then Absolutely. I mean sure you got some good defensemen, but. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to say Dwayne Rollison because of all the, the dark years. I mean, you know, Maroon came in at that deadline and then did pretty good, but they were out of it. So it was garbage time. But then he got 27 goals was the next year, right? Yeah. So I, I would give – I'd say Maroon towards the impact he wound up having. But immediate, immediate impact, it's got to be Rollison. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Um, I mean, I think it really goes to show – you know, what a big deal uh, Yamamoto really has turned out to be. And it's interesting when you were talking about Benson, how you said, you know, people have written him off. You know, a lot of people had Yamamoto written off. In a weird way, maybe I think those forward prospects, you almost want to write them off and just, like, forget about them and not expect anything and then have them surprise you. Because, you, I mean, as an organization, I'm, I really think Holland's going to have us just overdeveloping and overripening the prospects. And um it's just, I really hope that's going to be the well, way going forward. Like, if we don't see Benson until, you know, the middle or the, the near the end of next year, that that's fine, you know, whenever he's ready. I think so. And I, I, I mean, that's clearly the goal for the organization as a whole. Because how many players have been rushed along, up too early, placed in a, in a role that they couldn't handle? I mean, what did Rob always say about Justin Schultz? He's a second-pairing five-on-five defenseman who can run your power play. What has he been with the Pittsburgh Penguins? How many Stanley Cups has he won with the Penguins, right? He got yeah. slotted in in that perfect position. And here it's like, okay, kid, hope you enjoyed college. You're our best defenseman, offense and defense, and you'll play all <laughs> special teams. Go do it, buddy. Yeah. Like, it's like, what? Like, he was set up to fail. 
Man, I was. And we did. One... We did that every year. We had we had players like that every year that we just rushed in. Well, I was one of the guys this year that I like. I had. I wasn't sure Yamamoto was going to come back. He had some sort of hand in- injury at the beginning of the season. I remember. And it was just like I'd, I'd, I've heard the song before, you know, like I was getting uh, bad vibrations from the whole scene. And I was kind of expecting that we were never going to see him again. It would just be like the I continue at like a variation on a theme, you know. But lo and behold, yeah, it's there's there's very few guys in the league that I think bring the type of energy that he brings to a team when he's out on the ice or you just. On the bench, like the guy practically vibrates with uh, the good juice that you need the to juice. win, you know? The juice, yeah, best yeah. of juices, yeah. Yeah, he's a unique player, very driven. And like I said earlier, they all are, but, but some guys still separate. He's, I still remember the great quote, Shirelli, why should I draft you? Because if you don't, I'm going to come back and haunt you. Well, now he's haunting all the other teams. And I thought if he came up and had half a point per game, that that would be a huge impact. Well, he's a point a game. And then I, I interviewed Nugent Hopkins a couple of weeks ago and Nugent Hopkins basically said, Yamamoto's the puck retrieval guy. Like he's the best four checker on that line. that <laughs> goes and gets the puck to him and Leon. I mean, Nugent, I think was being a good teammate, but it's sometimes it's true. Sometimes he does dig out more pucks than other forwards. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He does it better than I think, you know, any order that I've seen in a long time. I think he's going to, I think his style of play is going to also translate very well to um, the playoffs, or at least I hope, knock on wood. Um, another quick media question, Reed, uh, and this is just from a fan perspective, you know, listening to all the post-game interviews and whatnot. I find oftentimes, especially early in the year and especially when the team is experiencing some kind of struggle, um, you just seem to hear the same question over and over again. You'll, the one player will 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 get be given a question three, four, sometimes even five times. And I just wonder, you know, as someone who's familiar with those scrums, like, are you surprised that people don't hear that a question's been asked a few times and switch it up? Like they don't have a backup. I, I just want to know what, what the nuts and bolts of that are. Yeah, like, that's a good, that's a, that's a good question. And that is one of the, the, the things of the job you, you want to find a way to ask that good question, but you can't go too far off the board and the, the player, you know, the media is part of their day, but it's not the primary thing. So they've come off the ice, they're practicing, and it's like, okay, five minutes, do this, get it over with. So they, you know, you, if they if you catch them by surprise too much, you might not get uh, you might not get a good answer, or you might be known as the that the guy who asks the weird questions. I I, I struggle with that. You know, or sometimes I'll have a question in mind. It's like, oh, great, somebody else asked it. Well, so I try to sometimes have a have a backup. I, I, I know what, and it's interesting now, too, in this day and age, all the interviews are raw, right, on the Oilers website, or sometimes we'll post raw audio. So it's not like you can hide if you said something stupid. I, yeah, I don't know. Like, just, <laughs> well, I'll tell you the, the Ryan Strom story from a couple of years ago where I rightfully got criticized by some people. Uh, it was a few weeks before Strom got traded and we were doing the, they practiced at the downtown community rink. So we don't go into the dressing room those days. So you, so you have to specifically ask one of the Oilers media per, people for a player and they'll usually come out and do a scrum. Now, guys, if I ask for a player, I have at least three questions in mind that I want to ask, right? Like if I say to Andre or Sean or Kate, the, the Oilers staff that handles those requests or will get the guy out of the back when he's done stretching. Like if I say I want to talk to Zach today, I have a story idea in mind where Cassian's the guy to talk about it and I'll have questions in mind. So 
I hate when I go into a scrum and it's with a player that, that I didn't request, but I see a scrum breaking out. So I think, well, I got to get my mic in there and nobody says anything because I'm thinking one of you guys asked for this player and now you're not starting the scrum and that pisses me off. Hmm. So, so this, so this, so the Oilers were about to play the Islanders and somebody requests Strom and Strom walks into the dressing room. And I'm thinking to myself, like, seriously, we're going to like put this guy through this again. So, <laughs> so me being the idiot that I am, you know, and I, I, I try to stand right next to the player because I can hear better and I'm short. So I try to get us so I don't have to stretch my arm out too far. So I'm standing by Strom's left elbow and I'm holding the mic and nobody's saying anything. And I'm like, Come on. Like, I'm thinking to myself, somebody <laughs> asked for Ryan Strom. Ryan Strom has now stood here for five seconds, awkwardly, in a, in a around a semicircle of reporters and cameras, waiting for someone to talk to him. Like, this is bullshit. So I finally say, so, Ryan, you pay attention to Everly's stats still? <laughs> and, he, and he looks at me, and he gives me this huge eye roll, and he makes this exasperated noise. I'm just like, oh shit. Like I just I'm thinking to myself, I am the biggest dick on the planet. Like that's uncalled for. So he and just, not in he a just good way. Yeah. yeah. He just so he did he, you know, he he answered it and then he left and then other media guys were like, Whoa, you know, and then Jim Matheson wrote in the paper the next day that uh, you know, I came in with a high hard one. And I'm just, but I, but I'm just like, okay, like it was bad. And I, I, I don't, like, I don't look on social media too much, but I was kind of saw some people like, oh, like Reed's an asshole or just another's, you know, all of Edmonton media is bad. And that's the bad, that's another example, you know, so like, whatever, like I, I, I deserved it. Like it was bad, but I was also irritated that okay, somebody has a story idea beside about Ryan Strom. And you're not asking the question. So the next day in the dressing room, I was like, hey, Ryan, like, I just, I wasn't attacking you, but like, no one was saying anything. And he's just, he's just like, oh, I don't care. But he's just like, what do you want me to do? Like, I, I don't know how else to react to that at this point. I'm like, no, I get it. So whatever. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm sure he probably didn't think about it for more than two seconds afterwards. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you asked the question out of irritation. Like you were <laughs> during those five seconds, you went from like zero to slowly increasing a slowly increasing level of agitation that nobody was asking a question <laughs> and then you took matters into your own hands but you were so full of irritation at that point that it was going to be some a uh, a uh, a high hard one as jim Apps put it i totally get it i totally get it you're blameless you're blameless oh we all know Got to, got to admit your mistakes. We, we all, we're all, we've all been there. Um, Absolutely. Got a bit of a fun one for you, Reed. Uh, we're both uh, here on the Handkerchief Dynasty podcast. Uh, we're both huge fans of uh, your broadcast partner, Rob Brown. And I wanted to know if we were to create like a trap or like a lure. Imagine, you know, a giant refrigerator cardboard box with like a stick holding it up and some string. What do we put in the trap to lure Rob Brown to come on the podcast? Like magazines, I would say, say probably he Rob's a pretty fit guy, but I, I so I wouldn't say junk food because he doesn't touch it. I've never seen him drink pop. Wow, one uh, of those I, guys. I know, like it's 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 crazy. Uh, <laughs> honestly, like get him gift certificates to like a good restaurant in Edmonton or St. Albert. He he will jump into the fridge after them. He loves going out to eat. Loves going Still? out with his wife and kids. Yeah, like he'll go, like he was telling me he went to Uccellino a few months ago and was all excited. And I think he went to Bar Brico and somewhere in St. Albert. Like he loves hitting the spots and 
and, uh, and, and trying good food. So yeah, I think, uh, okay. yeah, I guess I, I, you were probably hoping for a humorous answer, but I'm answering. Well, no, I mean, I'll, I'll give you one. I mean, I think I could probably go as high as like a $15 gift certificate at Ruth's Chris. How's that sound? <laughs> Yeah, well, Bob could probably get you that. Just he could cut off a portion of his hundred dollar one, just, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> just to cut it off with scissors. Take it in and Chris, like, hey, this is worth this is like fifteen percent of the hundred dollar size, right? Do I get like a tenth of a steak for this? The gristle. You can get the gristle. Just get the gristle. That's right, and the butter. Hmm. Yeah, uh, Rob is great. He's he's got to be. It must be a real treat working with that guy. Like to me, he's one of the. Uh, he's got to be like he's one of the best analysts that that I know of that I've run into consistently. He's just like he's been there. Not only is he a player, he's just like I don't know the way he answers questions. He's so confident in his answers and he's very clear with them. You can very just true. tell he's been there. You can tell he's been there. You can tell he's put the puck in the net like time after time after time. He's just great. Must be great watching a game or you know listening to a game with that guy because i'm sure he's just got he's got such great insight in the game he's one of the best you guys, analysts you guys have a good, good relationship too we work well together well we do we, we genuinely enjoy working together and i learn stuff from him all the time and the road games we actually sit in the same room and he doesn't have any like there's no condescension from him that AI played and you didn't, so you really shouldn't even ask someone like me that question. Like he'll always explain it or say like, no, 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 like this is this this yeah. is actually what's happening. Like he'll he'll do it in a in a in a like a productive explanatory type way. And he and he tells me all the time that when he started doing it, he talked to some other analysts, and they told him always say why. If there's a replay or you're talking about something, don't just describe the play in a different way. Always say why. You know did. Mm. Could the goalie push across? Did the did the shooter? How was the stick position? What was what was the angle? Like was the did the pass come in flat? Is that why he missed? Like all that kind of stuff. Tell somebody why. And I think and I think he does that. And to get back to what we were talking about earlier, I think sometimes after a loss that pisses people off <laughs> because they feel like he's making mm. excuses, whereas really he's saying no. Like this is this is why it happened. This player. Yeah isn't capable of doing that. It's not an excuse for the player. Like he's being asked to do things that are beyond his capabilities or he was in an unfamiliar position. So I've never, and I think most people get it, but I've never viewed that as excuses. Like I viewed that as like, Oh yeah. If he was a right shot instead of a left shot, he, he makes that play, but he got stuck on the wrong side of the ice because 40 seconds earlier, somebody else made a bad line change. Right. So he takes you through that whole process of how that frozen moment in time where you might think, oh, player A screwed up. You might think, oh, like it's actually player B and C who've been sitting on the bench for 20 seconds that put the team in that situation. Yeah, he's talked me back from the edge many times when I'll hear him explain something. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, all right. Yeah, he's great. He's awesome to work with. Um, I know we wanted to ask you, I found this very interesting uh, listening to uh, another podcast that you'd done, you said, is it true that you worked uh, as a manager at Blockbuster, including a stint uh, at the, the Southside Heritage Mall location? Uh, I worked as an assistant manager as at Blockbuster at, uh, yeah, Strathcona, Heritage, Oliver, and Collingwood. Uh, the Heritage one was not in the mall. It was across 23rd Ave from the mall. Uh, so, yeah, that's part of my illustrious resume was three 
memorable years at Blockbuster Video. About it, the the middle year of that, I was an assistant manager. So I got, you know, my Mick job as I call it. I was a customer service representative. So you worked the till, put movies away, helped customers. Uh, and then they were opening a new store at Heritage, so I applied to be an assistant manager, and I got hired, and then I got transferred a couple of times, which is unfortunate because I really like working at the Heritage store. And then when I went to Nate, I basically asked to be demoted, for lack of a better way to put it, because I was going oh, to gonna be going to school full-time, so I couldn't work 40 hours a week as an assistant manager. So I said, can I you know, get like go back to being a part-time, having a part-time job as a student and work two or three nights a week. And, and they said, yeah. And they sent me back to the, and they also agreed to send me back to the Strathcona store, which was like three blocks from where I lived at the time. So it was really handy if I, you know, was at school, then it wasn't, wasn't more driving to get to my shift or whatever. So yeah. What, mm. what a, like, I feel like that was way too long of an answer about my blog. No, no, no. Career. Well, no, well, we want to ask you more about it. We're both very curious. Oh, good. I, heard, I heard some, I heard some funny stories about, you know, bad customers um i'm curious though did you did you recommend a lot of movies to people we're we're big movie guys here so yeah curious no, like what your big I what just, your big recommendations for those years were i would i'd loved recommending movies to people and when you'd actually get to know somebody a little bit and they would like come in and actually seek you out and be like okay read what have you seen in the last couple of weeks or or and sometimes they'd recommend movies to me I think in the era I was working, I probably would have recommended Seven a lot if they were looking for a thriller mystery, because I was a blockbuster 95 to 98, and I think Seven came out in 94, uh, and like that's right. that is that's probably one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Certainly, Usual Suspects was big. Uh, if I if I got the sense they they liked that, uh, you know, if they were into sort of thrillers, but they were a bit more of a buff. I mean, I had a bit of a, I probably forgotten now, but I had a bit of a Hitchcock menu. I could, I could pull off. <laughs> wow. Uh, romantic comedies, nothing couldn't help. I mean, huh. I would just, when it came, when some movies were for some genres, you would just have to say, I haven't seen it, but it's popular, right? You'd have, you'd have to go off, go off of that. Uh, or or you'd get a coworker to, to to jump in, but certainly with the romantic comedies, like I didn't give a shit, I didn't watch them, so <laughs> I would just be like, you know what, this one's always rented out, but there's one copy right now, so if you think you'd enjoy it, I'd grab it because it's going to be gone in in two minutes. Um, you know, this is Spinal Tap was always one that I thought uh, if people were into that humor, you know, or or into the '80s rock, I, I would always. Uh, I'd, I would always pull that one out as a recommendation. That's another one of my, my favorite movies. Other than that, you just would kind of try to get a feel of the customer, if they were in a rush or not, you know, if, if, if it looked like it was going to be a family movie or maybe, you know, one by themselves or just them and their spouse or their significant other. So you just would try to get a get a feel for it like that. The, the craziest shift I ever had at Blockbuster was at the Strathcona store. And I was working, uh, I think I worked like, 10 to 5 or maybe it was 9 to 5 on New Year's Eve. It might have been 9 to 5. I might have done an hour of help. I wasn't the assistant manager. I have never seen a store so busy in my life. It was like 10 a.m. Like people are waiting outside to come in. And I got asked for Raiders of the Lost Ark probably 20 times. And it was rented out at 10.05. You know, because that's that'd be a great New Year's Eve movie, right? Like Raiders of the Lost Ark, have that on with popcorn and, you you know, you can kind of watch it, kind of still play a game or socialize while it's on. Everybody's probably seen it. But, hey, here's the scene where the guy's head melts. Here's the scene yeah. where he shoots the ninja, like all that kind of stuff. And I remember like, Jesus, like we need 40 copies of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> There's one copy in the older 
you know, in the, in the, <laughs> the, the library section because it's not a new release. So and I just remember, and it was only the manager and I until about one o'clock, and usually ten to one in a video store, especially Strathcona, is the dead time. I mean, you're dusting shelves and looking for things to do, but it was like just like, oh my god, like the phones ringing, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Terminator Two, all the classic action movies. It was it was just insane. I've I've never forgotten that shift. I was exhausted at the end of it. Well, wow. I, think, I think we've we've done a good job of talking about some of these issues and helping you to work through them and, and come up with some strategies and some some perspectives and you know some ways that we can collaborate and, and you know helping work through this stuff. Uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, Indiana Jones or Ra- rather Raiders of the Lost Ark. I saw that uh, as a midnight movie once when I was 18, and it's forever seared in my mind as as one of the all-time greats. That's uh, that's really interesting. You had something, High Priest? Um. Yeah. It was. I mean. Yeah, I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is a great movie, but that's also like years after the fact. Oh, yeah. Yeah, strange. So do you guys, so Secret Professor and High Priest, are you guys actually characters in an Arkham Horror game? Like, are you going to be in the next Arkham Horror Living Card Game expansion as playable characters? <laughs> well, I mean, this, like, we're on we're on Anchor. So the way Anchor works is they put up your podcast for free, but they upload all your ideas into the cloud, and so they can steal them. So I'm oh. sure I'm sure <laughs> someone with those names will, but we'll never see any benefit. No, from no, that's too bad. I I love those names. But I, I've been playing a lot of uh, uh, Arkham themed games lately from the like, Fantasy Flights, the company that makes the games, right? And they always have like. You know, the villain is, is something like the ghoul priest, you know, and he's got to be holding a human heart in his hand. So maybe Avatar, maybe for the podcast. Uh, I don't know. Like you a, got the crying. Sounds like Gretzky the first now. time I met the high priest, actually. Remember? <laughs> yeah, well, um, absolutely. Yes, of I, course. I did. I did. However, if you'll indulge me before we let you go, and it's been wonderful having you on. Um, really enjoyed it. Really appreciate it. Um, but I did. I did have an idea for a game we could try. If it's not fun, we don't have to go too far. But. Given your your experience at Blockbuster and your expertise, I thought we could play a game cooperatively where we one of us names a group of people or a type of customer that comes in, and then we all say what movie we would recommend to them. So I'll start off, okay? Okay. Uh, 65-year-old uh, priest. And I got to say a movie? Yeah. What are you going to recommend to him? Ooh, that's a good one. On Golden Pond? Oh, <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> Priest, why don't you take the next one? Uh, like an, another a, a customer that comes in? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say like a, uh, a dangerous-looking teenager that you have your eye on from the minute they come in the store. But then uh, instead of uh, stealing videos, they ask you for a, a video they'd like they'd, you think they'd enjoy watching. Dangerous-looking teen Lost is the customer. Boys. Lost Boys. Ooh, Lost Ooh, that's Boys. a good one. That's better than mine. I was going to say Train Spotting. Maybe Silver Bullet. <laughs> Silver Bullet, yeah. I was talking huh. about werewolves on the air last week. That's why that's on my mind. Hmm. Okay, round. Next round. Uh, a uh, a family of four who look like they just rolled out of church. You know, their their collars are undone, and they're they're tired, and they seem like they have the wind out of them, and they're just on their way home. Oh, that's a good one. See, I might be a little cheeky and do something like Grumpy Old Men. I was going to say Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> that's amazing. See, that's, that's perfect. Oh, that, that, one. that is awesome. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I think I'm not going to top that right now. Um, we are at almost an hour. So the way this works is 
Um, we can charge your insurance company directly for the therapy session, um, or you can pay us by cash or check. Um, but if we go if we go over an hour, it is it is time and a half. Yeah, Brian Hall will cover everything. Just say beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, perfect. Uh, any any more questions for us? I was thinking we should ask that at the end of podcast because in in a job interview, the best way to impress them at the end is I, on either side. If you're doing the interview, you ask them if they have questions for you. And if you're uh, being interviewed, you ask the questions, you know, you flip it around that way. I, Any well, more questions I, for us? I, no, I, I think you guys do a great job. Uh, it, it's fun to, to do something like this. It's it's a little different for me. Uh, I, I think all the podcasts and blogs surrounding the Oilers are, are really cool. And it's it's neat to be uh, a small part of that community and get to interact with uh, with you guys and, and, and people you know, doing similar things when I can. So, you know, you guys are really the, the stars of this and, and good for you guys to, to keep this rolling along. Very kind hey, of you. Thanks yeah, a lot, Rick. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I personally think that, yeah, that's kind of our number one goal as well is, is really just connecting with people. Uh, it's been really fun. Like, I've never was on Twitter before, all that stuff. It's it's all very, very new. So we're having fun. Um, I'm glad you had a good time. We'll have you on again sometime, I hope. Right on. We'd be happy to do it. Thanks a lot, Reed. Have a great rest of the night. Yeah. Okay. Just, and uh, I, I, just so everyone knows, Reed did this after his regular show. So he's he's the hardest working man in broadcasting. <laughs>
Thank you.